Through your word, might you use it for your glory, for all of our benefit, so that we can please you in this life. In Christ's name, amen. Please be seated. Good afternoon. It's great to be here with you today. Glad for this opportunity. Uh, You know, as you consider, I'm going to be in Psalm 119, verses 9 to 16. If you want to follow in your Bibles, you're welcome to do that. But in the the culture that we live in, uh, I I hear that you guys have a a number of babies that have been added to your church recently. Quite a few. There's a lot of kids here and and young folks. Uh, Do you ever get concerned about what's going to happen to them? When you look at our culture and you look at the lack of morality and you look at the continual degradation, I mean, it would be easy to cause even believers to become quite unsettled as far as how do we respond to this. And we think about our kids. We have, we have in the stage of grandparenting, so we have 10 grandchildren, and, uh, and their lives are important to us. And what's going to happen as we progress? And, and living in a sinful world, one of the questions that we have to ask is, how do we teach our kids to maintain purity in an extraordinarily impure world? How do we teach them? And, and the Bible is actually very clear on what we need to do. It's very clear. Now, it's not that there are not peripheral things that we could do to be helpful. Like, you know, on our, this is actually my clock's on, so I'm paying attention for your benefit. Okay? But, but you guys, we can put things on phones, and we can put things on computers, and, and we can limit TV, and all of those things are fine. Okay? And oftentimes necessary. But the scriptures address it more from the heart level. Unfortunately, a lot of people look at what the scriptures emphasize and say, okay, now is there something else or another way to do it? Because the Bible is very specific. So if you have your Bibles, you can look at uh, Psalm 119, verse 9. It asks this question, how can a young man keep his way pure? How can he do it? How can a young man keep his way pure? Now, this is not that it's not important for young women or middle-aged people or older people. He's just addressing the issue. When somebody's young, but they're old enough to understand that it's going to be a challenge to keep my way pure. They're old enough to understand that they have a sin problem. And that sin problem leads to issues. So how is it that I deal with these issues? How is it, if I'm a young man, how can I set a course that is going to be honoring to God? It presumes that this young man, one, understands his sin and the gravity of it. It it also emphasizes this idea that he has a desire to keep his way pure. Okay? And of course it begins there, right? And the gospel is the only answer to that. Uh, life transformed. I mean, we're talking about a, a person, even a young person, who has come to the point where they understand who they are apart from Christ, recognize the gravity of their sin, and they've come to that point where they've repented and believed in the gospel. And so now the question for the young man is, even as a Christian, are there temptations that are struggle every day of your life? Thank you, that's concerning because I thought maybe it was only me. (laughs) It's a challenge. The challenges are immense, but the young man understands his problem, understands that he wants to keep his way pure. But now the question is, how do you do that? In the second part of the verse, it says, by keeping it according to your word. Now that sounds very simple, right? How do you keep your way pure? Well, you just keep it according to God's word. You, you just live in accordance to what God wants. I'll be quoting often from Spurgeon. He says, Willful ignorance is in itself willful sin, and the evil which comes of it is without excuse. Okay? Being ignorant of the truth. You guys, God has given us his word intentionally. It's not an assignment just to be an assignment. It's not just to absorb time in your day. It's because 
we need it, and we need it desperately. But I would contend that in the Christian culture that we live in, it's been my experience that many, many, many people who profess to know Christ have a very hard time establishing a priority with God's Word. Why? It says, how can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to his word. And so as we progress in verse 10, it says, with all my heart, I have sought you. Do not let me wander from your commandments. Now think about that first phrase. With all my heart, I have sought God. Plummer says, lightly to esteem is to despise heavenly wisdom. Lightly to esteem. In other words, if it's, if it's not precious or important to me, then I despise it. Because God intends it to be precious and to be important. It says, with all my heart. You know, if it took the all out of there, it would be easier. But the idea is that, that if I want to learn to walk in purity then my heart has to be just drawn to God and in pursuit of God. Spurgeon says the more a man's whole heart is set upon holiness, the more does he dread falling into sin. Oh, isn't that good? I'm afraid a lot of people, you know, it's not that, you know, I mean, I don't want to just fall into sin, but but there's not a hatred of it. I mean, Proverbs 8, 13, what's it say? Fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogance, evil way, the perverted mouth. I hate. So Spurgeon says, the more a man's whole heart is set upon holiness, the more does he dread falling into sin. He's not so much fearful of deliberate transgression as of inadvertent wandering. He cannot endure a wandering look or a rambling thought which might stray beyond the pale of the precept. We are to be such wholehearted seekers that we have neither time nor will to be wanderers. And yet with all our wholeheartedness, we are to cultivate a jealous fear lest even then we should wander from the path of holiness. What's the greatest commandment? Greatest command. This interactive time. Do you do that here? With all your... Okay, that's our first and foremost love, right? Far above any other love. We're to love God more than we love the person on this earth that is dearest to us. That can be a spouse, a family member, a friend, folks. It can be your children. Our love for God is to exceed them all. And if it doesn't, then you have competing loves, which means you're living in rebellion. In Matthew 10, it says this in verses 37 and 38. He who loves father or mother more than me, listen to what Jesus says, is not worthy of me. He who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me He's not worthy of me. Jesus intends to be preeminent in our life. Number one, first place, with all my heart, I'm seeking after God. It's a relationship, folks. It, it's wanting to know God. It, it's, it's, it's loving God with a desire to please him. For those that have children, you know, I have grandchildren. It's just such a sweet time in life. Because you know that little grandchild, grab a hold of my hand and hang on, and it's just precious, Right? You have children. You just love those moments. You have my grandchildren, sometimes they'll, they'll color me a picture. And they bring that picture to me. I have absolutely no idea what it is. <laughs> but I think it's incredible. Right? I mean, I do. I mean, it's like, wow, that's really great. You know, you know what you do. You know, explain it to me. <laughs> Yeah, what's this part over here? You know, and you kind of learn it as you go. They may be too, I don't know. Uh, But it's precious to me, right? Because I love them. Well, you guys, in the same way, when we love God, we're like that child. 
I mean, it's, it's not, I mean, it's not great. But God desires that we would love him. He would desire that it's our passion of our heart to please him. Is his children. With all my heart I have sought you. And then it says, do not let me wander from your commandments. Do you understand the cry of the psalmist at this point? He does not want to dishonor God. The idea is, with all my heart I'm pursuing you, please don't let me. Don't let me wander into the things that are not going to please you. I I want to honor you. Please, I, I, I don't want to go down a path that's contrary to your path. In Psalm 119, verse 21, it says, You rebuke the arrogant, the cursed, who wander from your commandments. Or in verse 118, You have rejected all those who wander from your statutes. For their deceitfulness is useless. So it is that Spurgeon says, A man of God exerts himself, but does not trust himself. His heart is in walking with God, but but he knows that even his whole strength is not enough to keep him right, unless his king shall be his keeper, and he who made the commandments shall make him constant in in obeying them. So, for those who want to keep their way pure, you want to keep it according to his word. But it's not just an assignment. It's a relationship. The reason you want to keep it according to his word, because it is God's word. And because of the relationship with God, I want to please him. I mean, folks, don't you want to? When you come to the end of this life and God brings you home, Don't you want to have been living a life, not perfect, but striving to please him? I mean, living with with excitement to see him? Living in anticipation? You know how it is when you have special events and maybe a special family member is coming in and you're excited? That our excitement in anticipation of meeting the Lord exceeds that in every respect. And so we desire to honor and to please him because we're seeking him with all our hearts. Now, the next one in verse 11. Because I've sought the Lord with all my heart, I will by default treasure his word in my heart. Those go together. If you love God, you will love his word. They go together. You cannot say... I love God and not love his word. They go together. To say I love God without a priority in his word is is to reveal the truth of your heart. Your word I have treasured in my heart. Scroggie says the best thing Hidden in the best place for the best purpose. Your word I've treasured, I've guarded, I've, I want that in my heart, within me. Not, not just on the shelf, not on the wall, in my heart. I want it to be a part of who I am. Plummer says, neither hearing, nor reading, nor reciting the Holy Scriptures will save us from false ways. Unless with the heart we cordially embrace whatever they teach us. To this work, we ought to be greatly stimulated. Spurgeon says, when young men only read the letter of the book, the word of promise and instruction is deprived of much of its power. Neither will the laying of it it up in the mere memory avail. The word must be known and prized and laid up in the heart. It must occupy the affection as well as the understanding. The whole mind requires to be impregnated with the word of God. That's how important this book is. Folks, the Bible doesn't say you need to have your devotions. I'm not opposed to that. I think that's a good thing. But the idea is not simply to have devotions. It, this word becomes to, it impacts your mind and your heart in such a way that you carry it with you all day long and all night. It is your very special treasure. You love this book. You know, it's ironically, uh, we have kind of funny perspectives of the Bible sometimes. Now, I'm not saying this is you. I'm just saying some people, okay? You know, like when we talk about reading the Bible, <laughs> uh, like... 
you know, reading, you know, if somebody said, hey, why don't you go home tonight and just read the, the book of Philippians? You know, some people would be like, you know, I'm kind of used to just reading a chapter at a time. If you've read, it's like a letter. I mean, you get an email and you read a paragraph and close that thing. <laughs> Whew, that's enough for today. <laughs> I mean, it is, kind of, it is kind of strange sometimes how we look at the Bible. Or like if I told you, hey, you know what, this, this week... You ought to just go home and sit down and, and read the book of Genesis. What's the first thing that comes across to your mind? Come on! What? 50 chapters! 50 chapters! You know, I mean, that'd take me 50 days! How many pages is it? Folks, most people can read a novel in an evening. We just have this strange association in our minds. It's not healthy. <laughs> this is God's word. You want to maintain purity? You've got to treasure it. You have to love it. You have to love God. I mean, those two go hand in hand. It's not an assignment. Now, I'm not saying every day you get up and you just say, you know, I just, I'm just giddy every day to spend time in the Word. I'm saying you get up and you say, it's God's Word. And I don't care how I feel. God, I love you and I love your Word. And by your grace, help me to understand it and, and help it to impact my life. And then as a result, God, help other lives to be impacted as a result. Who cares how you feel? I mean, your kids get up in the morning and say, I don't feel like doing school. Well, it probably wouldn't be good for you to do it then. That'd be kind of dishonoring to me or to your teacher. You know? Or work. I don't feel like going to work. Call your boss. I don't feel like going in. And that would just not be, that would just not be nice to you. I mean, I, I just wouldn't have my heart in it. And he's like, oh, yeah, I, I get it. <laughs> it doesn't matter how I feel. It's God. It's the eternal God, and it's, and it's his eternal word, and, and it's a privilege that we have to treasure this book. In Job twenty three twelve, it says, uh, Job says, I have not departed from the command of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. It's more precious to me than, than even eating. Psalm thirty seven thirty one: the law of his God is in his heart. His steps do not slip. Why? Because God's word. And, you know, Romans 12, too, it talks about we're transformed, right, by the renewing of our minds. You guys, it's the word of God, by the power of God's spirit that renews our mind. And as we get that word in and we cherish it and we love it, Proverbs 7, 1, it says, My son, keep my words and treasure my commandments within you. Or Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. With all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. Spurgeon says he did not wear a text on his heart as a charm, but he hid it in his heart as a rule. It's not just a plaque on the wall in the house. It's not a Bible sitting out on the on the end table or whatever. You guys, the reality is it's, it's the word of God that is so profoundly precious to you that it's transforming your life because you're committed to it. And I think one of the evils of our day is often not just awful things. It's just that believers get so busy with things that are not inherently bad, but as a result, they don't have the time they need to both love God and to love his word. And they say, well, I just don't have time. And I would say, no, you don't, what you don't have is love. It's an issue of love. You love these other things. They're competing, and your priorities reveal the truth of that. Well, do you treasure God's word in your heart? Is it that kind of a priority? And folks, that's not hard to figure out. Each one of us has to grapple with that in our own hearts. But as parents, you want to train your kids to be pure? You want to train them that way? You have this kind of love for both God and for his word. Not an assignment love. I know I'm supposed to. No, no, no. Uh, A love that's genuine for God, a love that's genuine for his word. And they see that. 
in the time you spend, the priorities you set, both for your life, and then obviously if you set it right for your life, you're much more likely to help your kids learn those priorities, right? If you don't have those priorities, how in the world could you help your kids see and understand and model those priorities to treasure God's word? Verse 12 says, Blessed are you, O Lord, teach me your statutes. Blessed, it's the idea of of excellent, one who is worthy of praise and adoration. The psalmist, as he comes to this point in verse 12, is just emphasizing, one, his gratitude for God, his adoration of God, his praise to God. At the same time, he recognizes that he needs God to instruct him in the truth. He's desperate for for God's help. Desperate for God to impart the knowledge to him. And so the first part of the verse establishes our appropriate view of God. The second part is an acknowledgement of our dependence on God. You know, how many of you lack wisdom in this life? I mean, we, we, we're just assuming everybody would say that. Yeah, of course. Of course. God promises to give us his wisdom. He says he will. Read Proverbs 2. Just read Proverbs 2. He, he talks about, though, that we ought to seek for it as silver. We ought to cry out for it. We ought to pursue it. It ought to be that kind of importance. And in Proverbs 2, God says, I will give you wisdom. I will give it from the Lord comes wisdom. God is the one, the blessed God, who can instruct and give it to us. But you guys, when it comes to spending time in God's word, it's not just because the pastor said, you know... You know, spiritual disciplines. I think it would be better to call them spiritual privileges. I know who I am. And I need God's word. I know who I am. And I need God's word. I see this more as a desperate man who has the privilege of growing in knowledge of a holy God. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. We need to be disciples or learners. Teach me. But what an honor, Spurgeon says, what an honor to have God himself for a teacher. Who would not wish to enter the school of such a master to learn of him the art of holy living? I mean, think about that when you get up in the morning. You know, I think I'm going to go sit in the other room and open up my Bible, and the sovereign God is going to instruct me. Oh, what a gift. What an incredible opportunity. Verse 13, it says, With my lips I have told of all the ordinances of your mouth. Horn says this, when we make the scriptures the subject of our conversation, we glorify God. We edify our neighbors and we improve ourselves. He does not love God, his son, nor his word who does not sincerely desire to bring others to do the same. Or Plummer says, when the word of God is really in the heart, it will also be found on the lips You see that? With my lips I have told of all the ordinances of your mouth. The idea is that as you and I are treasuring this book, we're loving God and loving his word, we're learning, we're growing. God is convicting and teaching and instructing us. The more that's happening in my heart, what's coming out of my mouth? His word. The truth of his word. The idea is you you can't love God and love his word and not speak of it. It's simply one of the results of growing in our relationship with God. It's what God intends. 
Spurgeon says, what we learn in secret, we're to proclaim upon the housetops. If you were to just walk through the Psalms, and I'm going to read a few of them to you, you will see this idea repeated over and over and over again. In Psalm 9, verse 1, I will give thanks to the Lord with all my heart. I will tell of all your wonders and speak. Psalm 9:14, that I may tell of all your praises, that in the gates of the daughter of Zion I may rejoice in your salvation. Psalm 22, 22, I will tell of your name to my brethren in the midst of the assembly. I will praise you. Psalm 26, 7, it says that I may proclaim with the voice of thanksgiving and declare all your wonders. Psalm 44, 1, O God, we have heard with our ears, our fathers have told us the work that you did in their days, in the days of old. Or Psalm 48, 13, consider her ramparts, go through her palaces that you may tell it to the next generation. Psalm 66, 16, come and hear all who fear God, and I will tell of what he has done for my soul. Here's the truth, folks. For a person who comes to understand, and here for the young man, comes to understand the precious relationship with the living God and the the gift that he's given to us in his word through his spirit. As we spend time, not just to check off a box so I can read through the Bible or whatever it is, but I'm trying to study it so that I I, I can think about it, so it's life-transforming. One of the results is is not that I speak about it out of necessity or requirement. It's that it, it just overflows from my life. We need families like that. I mean, truly, we need families where the the Word of God, for believing families, the Word of God is such a priority. The love for God is so high that it takes precedence over every other competition in this life. In the the family, folks, it it ought to be comfortable and often that you're just talking about spiritual things. See, the day you're thinking about spiritual things, you're thinking about opportunities, how God is changing you, and you're looking for those divine opportunities. He has every day. Do you believe God has divine opportunities in store for you every day of your life? That he intends you to accomplish something of spiritual consequence, not only in your life, but likely in the lives of others every day? I think so. I think so. I think we're living living very naively if we were simply living Sunday to Sunday. It's an everyday reality. We want to tell of the remarkable works of God and the relationship that we have with God. And the verses go on and on and on about the importance of speaking of those things that praise our God. Well, in verse 14, the psalmist expresses the priority and the preciousness of God's word when he says, I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies as much as in all riches. You know, joy is a characteristic of believers, right? Joy ought to always be a characteristic of believers. Always. You ever see a depressed person joyful? Anxious person joyful? Somebody that's over what bitter person? Angry person? Joyful? You guys Christians? If you're in Christ, always joyful. Always. Now, I'm not saying you can't be joyful and be crying. I think those can go together. But the believer always says, I love Philippians 4, 4. Rejoice in the Lord. Always. Then what's the rest of it? In case you didn't get it in the first part. I love that verse. It's like, most people could memorize that one. It's fairly redundant. But what's the point? The point for Paul, as he sits in jail, is that as believers, we always, we always have a reason to rejoice. In the most difficult of life circumstances, we always have a reason to rejoice. And here he says, I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies. Spurgeon says, delight in the word of God is a sure proof that it has taken effect upon the heart, and so is cleansing the life. I, I enjoy this. I, I delight in the way of God's testimonies. You know, from the very beginning, what happened? The, the psalmist, the young man, this is how he can make his way pure. <laughs> and he's excited that there is a way. I mean, truly. 
A Christian can walk in purity. It is a tragic day when the church looks like the world. You know, Ephesians 5, it talks about, it starts by saying, be imitators of God as his beloved children. And, and then it goes on to talk about all these immoral things. And it says, these things ought not to even be named among you as proper among saints. Shouldn't even be named among you. Oh, you see, for the, the person who delights in God, loves God, treasures his word, he rejoices in the way of his testimonies. Psalm 35, 9, and my soul shall rejoice in the Lord. It shall exult in his salvation. Psalm 40, 16, let all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. Let those who love your salvation say continually, the Lord be magnified. Psalm 68, 3, but let the righteous be glad. Let them exult before God. Yes, let them rejoice with gladness. Joy. Joy in our relationship with God, joy in his testimonies and how they set us on the right course. Folks, that ought to be the delight of the believer's heart. And again, boy, what a beautiful thing when believers actually love God and love his word. It seems like such a simple thing, but it's not. It's not. It evades most. To love God and to love his word and to enjoy it and to delight in it. I remember I had a guy in my office one time, and uh, he struggled his whole life with spiritual disciplines. Struggled his whole life with them. And finally, after we, we, we talk about these things over and over, he finally looks at me and he says, Rocky, could you help me to be motivated to do this? I said, lovingly, No. Listen, if Christ on a cross, the son of the living God, who lived a perfect life, gives his life in an awful death, suffering the wrath of his own holy father, so that I could be treated as though I lived his righteous life, because he was willing to be treated like he committed my sin, if that doesn't motivate you, believe me. I have nothing to offer. Nothing. Truly. That's the gift of God. It's a profound reality of of what God has done. And that's why I rejoice in the way of his testimonies. And then it says, as much as in all riches. (laughs) The idea, it's not saying they're equal. It's just the biggest thing that he could pick out. If you had all the money. How many of you ever dreamed about winning the lottery? Don't say that. Don't answer Okay? You know, I mean, because think of how you could serve the Lord with that. (laughs) See, there's some things that we could long for and think if we just had this or that, it would make life better and think what I could do or think how I could serve the Lord. But you guys, we have a relationship with God and we have his word. What are we doing with it? We, we have his living word, and then he gives us the Holy Spirit, right? So that we can understand it. <laughs> so we can learn and we grow in it. The psalmist is saying, that, that's better than all the riches in the world. There's nothing in this world that will compare with that. But we're trying to figure out, well, yeah, but I've got baseball. I don't know if I'm going to have time. Or, or I, I've got, the, you know, and we've got all of these different things. And it's like, I, I just struggle to have time. It's like, not an issue of time. It's an issue of love. It's an issue of love. Spurgeon says, he tells us the degree of his joy as much as in all riches. Calvin says, as wealth attracts to himself the hearts of mankind, so I have taken more exquisite delight in the progress which I make in the doctrine of godliness than if I abounded in all manner of riches. Psalm 119, 72, the law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. Would you say amen to that? And then the question is, do you believe it? (laughs) Given the choice, because if you're in Christ, the one you have. Better than anything that this world affords to give. Psalm 119, 127, therefore I love your commandments above gold. Yes, above fine gold. 
So the question really, again, has to do with what our true priorities are. You know, I read you those verses in Matthew 10, 37, 38. It says, he who loves father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. He who does not love son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. He who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. In Luke 14, 26, it says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he can't be my disciple. Now we know he, he doesn't mean hate as we think of that because he tells us to, what's the second great commandment? <laughs> it's a lot of people. But what is he saying? It's an issue of contrast. It's an issue of contrast. If you love God, and this is a message for another day, but... If you love God with all of your heart, truly, not only will you trust him with your own life, you will trust him with the life of your spouse, you will trust him with the lives of your parents, you will trust him with the lives of your children. When you have competing loves and something's not going well with your spouse, maybe health situation, whatever it might be, or a child that all of a sudden has serious challenges, what's the tendency? It's to doubt or question God. See, our love for God, our love for God is, is to exceed our love for all other people. And when it does that, then, then we have confidence. You know, if you're all, you know, I don't know, not too many people my age here, but but for those who have lived a while, you understand, God takes us down hard roads, right? And he does it intentionally to accomplish his purpose. And folks, he'll take our children down difficult roads to accomplish his purposes. And he will take my grandchildren down difficult roads to accomplish his purposes. But he's good. He's always good. And see, the psalmist, once again, he gets it. He gets it. He just wants to walk in the way of the testimonies. He will rejoice. His love for God exceeds his love for all other things. And in fact, when it says, even yourself, when he says, uh, if you don't hate even your own life, now it's, it's, that's not just saying, oh, I just hate myself. I can't stand myself. I'm so disgusted with myself. The idea, <laughs> the idea is that it's, it, that's not what it is. It's the things that you want to do that are contrary to what God wants. That's what it's about. You know, that kind of false humility. I just hate myself. I'm such a jerk. You guys, that's not helpful at all. If God saved you, I promise you, he didn't save you because you're so good. He saved you because you're so bad. (laughs) And, And so when Christians struggle, it's like, yeah, that's why he saved us. It's why we love him and we seek to continue to grow because of who we are and who he is and what he's accomplished in our lives. So anyways, move on. This is way beyond devotions now in these first few verses. How can a young man keep his way pure by keeping it according to your word? With all my heart I have sought you. Do not let me wander from your commandments. Your word I have treasured in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I have told of all the ordinance of your mouth. I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies as much as in all riches. And now he says, I will. He's thinking forward. I will meditate on your precepts and regard your ways. I will meditate on your precepts and regard your ways. Meditate is to think intently and intentionally and at length for spiritual purposes. Plummer says, as food undigested will not nourish the body, so the word of God, not considered with deep meditation and reflection, will not feed the soul. So when you spend time in the word, if you're just reading and and then life moves on, of what benefit is it? You might feel better about yourself, but does God feel better about what you're doing? No, the, the idea of the word is that, that truly we are reading and studying and memorizing because we want the word to be renewing our minds. Colossians 3.1, set your mind on things above. I, I want to be thinking biblically about all of life. The psalmist says in 119.23, these are all in 119. Even though princes sit and talk against me, your servant meditates on your statutes. Now, did you hear that? 
Even though princes sit and talk against me. You guys, when people talk against you, what do you think about mostly? It's easy to think about what they're saying. But the psalmist says, when they talk bad about me, I meditate on your statutes. Isn't that great? Well, how do you solve the angry problem? Meditate on the statutes. Don't think about that. You set your mind on things that are, you know, Philippians 4a, true, honorable, right, lovely, good repute, whatever, excellent. If there's anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Uh, Verse 27, make me understand the way of your precepts, so I will meditate on your wonders. I shall lift up my hands to your commandments, which I love, and I will meditate on your statutes. May the arrogant, in verse 78, be ashamed, for they subvert me with a lie, but I shall meditate on your precepts. Oh, how I love your law. It's my meditation all the day. My eyes anticipate in 148, the night watches that I may meditate on your word. Those are all in Psalm 119. You you guys, for the believer, when we wake up in the morning, we ought to want to be thinking about God's word right away. We ought to be, I need some time in God's Word. And, and, and I, you know, I know everybody has different schedules, but I mean, at least get your mind engaged. Write a verse down. Take something. Be memorizing something. Always be memorizing something. Because the idea is that if you want to walk in purity, how can a young man keep his way pure? Here's how it is. You wake up in the morning with a love for God and a love for His Word. I want to become who God wants me to be, and I want to make a difference where God wants me to make a difference. And, and now, instead of waking up in the morning and just anticipating the day, I have to go to school, I have to go to the grocery store, I have to business meetings, I'm going to be traveling, da, 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 da. I'm thinking, okay, God, these are the things that I know that I'm going to do, or I think I'm going to do, but God, I know you have divine opportunities for me today. And what I see as a business meeting may be a gospel meeting. You know, the guy that told me, I've been to eight job interviews, haven't got a job yet. I said, you need to change how you think. You're just focused on a job. But God obviously intended you to be without a job, and he can get you a job when he wants. Now, you need to keep applying, but instead of just seeing it as an opportunity for a job, see it as a gospel opportunity. Say, God, I I mean, why else would he want you to meet eight people for job interviews? Just to see how frustrated he can make you? I don't think so. There is likely somebody that needs to hear the truth. You know, you get in a rear end, you know, somebody runs into the back of you. What do you think about? This is going to be a pain. Well, uh, actually, it's a divine opportunity because they're not leaving. Probably shouldn't be. You're going to meet somebody you didn't want to. If you're thinking about God's word, truly meditating on it, you wake up in the morning with a love for God and a love for his word, and you want to be who God wants you to be through the day, you guys, purity is not just locking up the electronics and hoping they maintain. Purity is learning to be absorbed with God and his word and learning to live each day in such a way. So when you come together, moms and dads at night, and you're together with your kids and you're talking about what God did in your lives through the day and the opportunity, you thought it was just going to the grocery store and the line was so slow and then you realized you had an opportunity to meet somebody you didn't think you'd meet and, and now you're going to go to lunch with somebody and maybe you're going to have an opportunity you don't know. But every day, all day, this day, this is the day the Lord has made. What does he t- intend to accomplish in my life and through my life? And you guys, I- I'm afraid that most Christians n- never understand what the Christian life, not a Christian moment, the Christian life is supposed to be like. But the scriptures, they are really, really clear. And so you have this whole idea, I will meditate on your precepts and regard your ways. In other words, through the course of the day. The issue is, if a person just tries to put off bad things, honestly, they're going to go back to them. You can lock up, I've seen it over and over, you can lock up whatever you want. (laughs) If they're just trying to stop sinning, they're going back. The idea is you put off and you put on. You want to become who God wants you to be. You're becoming absorbed with the word of God. It's about pursuing righteousness. Pursuing it with all of your heart. The delightful duty. In verse 16, it says, I shall delight in your statutes. I shall not forget your word. I shall delight in your statutes. I shall not forget your word. Again, Spurgeon says, Delight preventeth forgetfulness. The mind will run upon that which the heart delighteth in, and the heart is where the treasure is. Delight is to have a high degree of pleasure, mental satisfaction. It's, that same word is rejoiced, used in verse 14. In other words, 
God's word is not an assignment to me. I see it for what it is, the true word of God preserved by God's grace for me to benefit from his wisdom so that my life will continually become transformed to be more like him and so that I will consistently speak of his truths to others that other people might hear the gospel or believers might be encouraged, challenged, refreshed, whatever God would intend. When we talk about delighting in his statutes, the idea, it involves not only one's memory, Anderson says, but also a deliberate act of the will. In the Old Testament, to forget God means much more than an inability to remember. It can be described as a guilty forgetfulness or as being false to his covenant uh, and as turning to other gods. Zimmick says such volitional forgetfulness, that is, of the will, being a harbinger of all kinds of apostasy, was to be diligently avoided. Consequently, the psalmist boldly committed himself to guarding against it. When he says, I shall not forget your word, I shall delight in your statutes, I shall not forget your word, when it's talking about forget, the idea is not that, I don't remember what the Bible says. It's not like some kind of a biblical amnesia. It's a choosing not to think about. How many hours of how many days do we walk through this life and we simply neglect the spiritual priorities of God? We choose to forget. We choose not to think about them. And so, I mean, I think all of us would be ashamed at some level, I would expect, to say the opportunities that I've missed, the times that I just wasn't spiritually minded, I wasn't thinking about this other person and seeing them like God sees them. It's easy to get there. But to forget is to simply become careless. It's, it's to disregard. It's to not meditate on God's word. And brothers and sisters, it's easy to waste countless hours and days and weeks and months just because we forget. And again, I don't mean forget because I don't know. I mean forget because I don't choose to think as God has instructed me to think. And ultimately, it's devastating, right? It's devastating in our own lives, and of course, it also affects others as well. By way of application, Plummer says, all the fuel to keep the fire of devotion burning on the altar of the heart is the word of God. The word of God is such a precious thing. We need to see it as such. We need to see the beauty of God's wisdom. We need to see the gift of God's wisdom. And folks, if you're sitting here today, and this could easily be true, and your life is one that, I mean, you're just busy. You're busy beyond belief. That you say, and this is, I hear this probably more than any other thing, I just don't have time. I mean, that's really the condition of my life at this time. What I would say, I would just encourage you, go home, get on your knees, and rather, try, rather than trying to find, where can I squeeze five minutes? Okay, instead of getting up at 5.30, I'll get up at 5. Instead of getting up at 5, I'll get up at 4. Instead of doing that and just giving God the leftover, whatever you can squeeze in for him, I would encourage you to just put the whole schedule out on the table and say, God, come into you with open hands. What things do I just need to let go of? Not sinful things necessarily, just things that are absorbing your time, that are preventing you from loving God and loving his word as you should. When he said, and hate also your own self, I think we're the biggest obstacle, frankly, to loving God and loving people. I think we're our own biggest problem. Because, yeah, but I like this. But, yeah, this is fun. But, yeah, but, but, you know, and it's like, do you love God more than any other thing? And if you do, look at the schedule. And don't don't make God's word uh, fit. Make everything else either fit or go away. Fit or go away. Will you miss out on some neat, fun, special things? Well, I mean, I guess in one hand, you could say yes. But if you love God and love his word more, then I would say no. That, I mean, what is there that we wouldn't or ought not to be willing to just 
rearrange in order to make God our greatest love and this word our great treasure. Well, do you walk in purity? Do you want to walk in purity? God provides the resource for your children. I'm telling you what, if you can live and learn to live as this, love God and love his word and demonstrate that each day and then teach your children those same things, the other things you can still do and probably will, I think those are wise, that is to provide protections, you know, put on the Lord Jesus Christ, make no provision for the flesh, Romans says. But you guys, if that's what you do without doing the other You will fail miserably. You will fail. All right? Because that's not the answer that God gives. You know, the first part is pursuing God. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's this, Psalm 119, 9 to 16. Are you seeking God with all your heart? Do you treasure God's word? And in this, is, in this passage, it's described in this way. Do you, do you, you don't want to sin. You, you long for God to teach you. The word is often in your conversation. You delight in the word above all. You are constantly contemplating God's word. That is meditating upon it. You're determined not to forget God's word. Well, that's the answer that God gives. But this is sad, but there's a lot of people that say, well, yeah, but isn't there something like, like uh, purity light? They wouldn't say that to me. They'd say it more cleverly, you know. Isn't there, this is the way. This is the way. That's what God provides. And praise God, he gives us a way. Or it would be awful. So just, I just want you to be reminded of God's goodness. And I, let me tell you, do I struggle? Absolutely. All right? We're in a sinful world. The issue is not struggling. The issue has to do with pursuit. It has to do with pursuit and helping each other to walk in a way that pleases the Lord. Let me pray. Lord, thanks for your word. Thanks for the time. Thank you for your patience. God, thank you that you say the work that you've begun in your children, you will carry on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. Thank you, God, that you sent Christ to redeem us. Thank you that you sent his Holy, your Holy Spirit so that we can have the power to live, so that the Holy Spirit can instruct us and help us to understand the truth of your word. And we thank you for the provision of your word. Thank you for the incredible resources. God, forgive us for being unfaithful. Forgive us for being careless. Forgive us for being distracted. Help us to continue to learn day by day what it means to love you and love your word more. In Jesus' name, amen.